Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Current events this week and last week and the week before are all about the actions of President Trump uh, in terms of Uh, restricting access to our country by people outside this country who come from areas where terrorism is endemic. You're probably aware that he named seven countries who are primarily Muslim countries. But the reason those countries were named is, first of all, they were on a list that was made by President Obama in the run-up to the 2012 election, Uh, to make us think he was going to do something about the terrorism problem, which, of course, he did not. But nevertheless, he made the list, and uh, President Trump took that list and said, well, here's a list of countries that are failed states. We don't know what's going on in them. Would it be a smart idea if we kept people from those countries from coming into our country until we could figure out who these people were? Naturally, the the press has taken that to be a Muslim ban and and all kinds of other things to whip up a frenzy uh, against the president. But I think it's common sense. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is David Boris. He's been my guest before, and if you haven't listened to the original programs, please go to my website, www. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, that's D-R-D-A-N-S, freedomforum.com. Listen to the podcast. The title of those shows were The Islamization of American Culture Through through Muslim Privilege and Immigration, a fascinating discussion of the stealth jihad of Islam. So welcome to Freedom Forum Radio, David Boris. Thank you, Dr. Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Look forward to the discussion today. Well, so let's start right off. Um, what What do you think about the this so-called Muslim ban? Well, I think it's just common sense. We've got the leaders of our intelligence community and the senior FBI agent, the director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, have all said that refugees cannot be vetted, especially from not only the seven countries that are on the on President Trump's initial ban, but others as well, that refugees cannot be properly screened to determine what their background is and if they're desirable for entry into this country. So we're looking at 
um, having people come into our country. And, and by the way, uh, to me, I don't think people have a right to come into to the United States, uh, people who are not citizens of the United States. I don't believe there is some kind of right they have just to knock on the door and come in. What do you say? Well, absolutely. Uh, it, it has been our history uh, since the founding of this country to be selective of who comes in and who stays out. So we've got a long history of screening people and picking and choosing who we want to enter into this country. And uh, this is not the first time that there have been bans in place or pauses, if you will. And it's not certainly not the first time when there has been an all right prohibition against anyone coming into this country uh, until assimilation can properly take place. So there is historical precedent as well as common sense. And I think the third reason we have to be very concerned about is that the current leadership of ISIS has repeatedly said that they're going to uh, sequester, if you will, integrate, if you will, Islamic terrorists in refugee flows and insert them into the United States and throughout Western Europe. So we have to take these people very seriously. They always do what they say they're going to do. And so uh, we've got ample reason to be concerned. You mentioned a good point is that there is historical precedent for, for doing this. And I think back to World War II when there was no question that Germany and Japan had every intention of using German nationals and Japanese nationals who were in this country to spy for them, and in fact, many of them did. Uh, and these countries, the Nazis and the Japanese, did try to infiltrate the country, uh, not obviously necessarily through what was then the legal means of immigration, but they tried to uh, to have citizens sympathetic to Jap Japan and to Germany during World War II act as spies. So this is a natural act, is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got, as I said, we have precedent uh, upon which to act. Uh, we are in a battle right now with people who have declared war against us and will use every means possible to gain entry into our country and cause us extreme uh, harm. You know, during World War II, you know, with people in an uproar the way they are today, it's... I, I was going to say it's a shame they don't know history. It is a shame they don't know history, but they obviously are ignorant of history. Look what FDR did to the Japanese citizens. These were people who were citizens, 210,000 legal American citizens of Japanese descent who were taken and put in what is the equivalent of FEMA camps or concentration camps uh, during World War II for fear that they would uh, spy for Japan. Yes, that's why I said we have historical precedent, and that certainly was probably mishandled and not done as properly as it should have been, and that is a, a blot on our reputation because we did that. But nonetheless, we're talking about the entry of people coming into our country from other areas that uh, certainly have a history of terrorism uh, in the seven countries that uh, the previous administration and the current one uh, selected for this ban uh, are certainly meet that criteria. They are failed countries, and they have ample uh, 
history of attacks within those countries, as well as refugees who have come from those seven countries into this into the United States and been uh, prosecuted for uh, various terrorist acts. There have been a total of seventy-two jihadists from the seven from the seven countries who have been uh, adjudicated in our courts of law and convicted of various crimes. So, obviously, there's ample reason to do this. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, David, uh, because the press continually says that there's never been any terrorists who have ever come to the United States from those seven countries. That's obviously a lie. Oh, absolutely. There's... uh Unfortunately, the administration didn't wasn't properly prepared when they initially rolled out that uh, executive order, because that should have been part of it, the uh, informing the American public of the number of people that uh, have, in fact, been convicted for various terrorist charges from those seven countries since 9/11, and as I said, and that's worth repeating, 72, and counting. Uh, so um, if they had handled a little bit better, I think we probably wouldn't be in the position we are right now. You know, I think that all we need to do is look to the European experience currently. They have accepted hundreds of thousands of refugees from uh, from terrorist from countries in which terrorism is at, is part of the culture. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the experience in Europe and Scandinavia. What's going on over there that we should be paying attention to and learn a lesson from? Well, it's the total Islamization of their cultures, the transformation of their cultures into an Islamic one. Uh, Sweden, for example, is now the rape capital of the world, and it is that, has that designation because uh, rapes committed by Muslim refugees have skyrocketed. Some 90% of the rapes committed in Sweden uh, against Swedish women are committed by Muslim immigrants. And this has been going on for several years. as well as in other countries. You take Germany, for example, uh, a year ago, New Year's Eve, in Cologne, Germany, we had repeated examples of rapes and sexual assaults against German women committed by, you guessed it, Islam, or Muslim refugees. And then the same thing happened again more recently this New Year's Eve. So uh, the attacks against women, because they are not properly obedient to Islamic dress standards, telegraphs to these Muslim refugees that these women are in a state of rebellion and they must be punished. And according to Islamic doctrine, the way to punish them is sexually. So that that is a certainly one reason to give pause for the number of refugees, as well as the ones we've already discussed. So this is happening currently in Europe. The yes, every day I get uh, information that talks about that. In fact, in France right now, they're having multiple large-scale uh, social unrest in various cities. 
where cars and buildings are being burned and police are being forced to uh, quell disturbances by the refugees. Uh, in France alone, there are some 79 no-go zones where uh, officials will not enter because uh, they have basically turned them over, these areas over to Sharia law, and these areas are run by Muslim officials. And so the French keep out, and the Muslims stay in these enclaves with no desire to assimilate. You know, this is really a, a very important, a very key point. Let's go over again. What exactly is happening in Europe in these no-go zones? What are they? How are they formed? What is happening in them? And what is their relationship to the government, the legitimate government of the country? Well, to address the last point first, the legitimate government has allowed these refugees to congregate, settle in certain areas, usually in a ring around large metropolitan areas, and that's where the Muslim refugees uh, take up residence, and uh, thousands and thousands of them transform these areas into strictly Muslim areas to live and practice their religious beliefs under Sharia law. And as a consequence of that, they keep the local authorities out. And in many cases, uh, even public safety officials, police and fire, uh, don't want to venture into these areas simply because they'll be attacked. Uh, so these are the types of conditions that are being created and allowed to be created by local governments who are trying to appease the refugees because they are very much, the officials are very much concerned that the refugees will become upset and there'll be social unrest. Well, they've got the social unrest anyway. Uh, the appeasement has not worked, has not worked at all. So what you have basically is you have what in essence are Muslim ghettos uh, around and near major cities uh, in Europe. Uh, and the word ghetto kind of, it, it kind of implicates that we put them in there, but in actuality they put themselves in there and have formed a, an area where they are in control. And it's the legitimate government's position that we don't – it's sort of a hands-off position. Is that what happens? That's exactly right. And, and there's a strategic reason for this. The model for this the, the, of immigration, Muslim immigration, was established back in 622 when Muhammad was forced to flee Mecca with his followers and go to Medina. And the model that was created was that they are obligated to flee hostile areas, such as Muhammad had to flee Mecca, a hostile area for a friendly area, a peaceful area, such as Medina, and through a over a period of time they gain more strength through numbers, increasing their numbers, and their mission is to conquer that new area which they've immigrated into. And that has been the model ever since. They go from a hostile area to a non Muslim peaceful area and once their numbers increase, they conquer it. 
And that has happened repeatedly since 622. And that's exactly what is transpiring today. And that is why immigrants do not are not fleeing hostile areas in the Middle East into Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and other countries that are perfectly capable of accepting these refugees. But that's not part of the plan. They are not to flee into uh, Muslim countries. The model is to flee a hostile area, such as they are in Syria, and come to a peaceful area, whether it be in Europe or the United States, build up their numbers whereby they can actually take over the culture. So that is the European experience, pretty much. They've been letting, uh, they've been letting refugees and immigrants from Muslim countries into Europe for quite a while in large numbers. So, because I remember that they've been having riots and disturbances a number of years ago, not just recently. So their experience, and they have a, a sort of a, they're contiguous with uh, the Middle East. Uh, you don't have to cross an ocean to get there. So it's probably easier for them to have come to the European area uh, initially. So what's been going on there has just been snowballing and getting worse and worse for not a short period of time. Isn't that true? Oh, absolutely. The, the refugee problem has happened uh, as a consequence in Europe of the male shortage that uh, originally was a result of World War II. And it was following World War II when Europe was forced to increase the number of males to do the work of uh, rebuilding Europe, and at the time during the 50s and 60s, that was done primarily by Turkish laborers, Muslim laborers, who were allowed to come into Europe. But at first they were, they came unaccompanied by their families with the idea that they would work for a year and then go back and uh, to their original country. But then over time, Europe acquiesced and allowed these immigrants to come in with their families and to stay. And then they opened up immigration to not only to Turkey, but to other countries as well, because the birth rate has continued to uh, decline throughout Europe. They are not doing a very good job of reproducing themselves in sufficient numbers. So they needed more people to pay the high taxes required to support their social estate. And so you have the situation that you have today. You know, a no-go zone is pretty much a foreign country when you come right down to it. If you have an area where the legitimate government and, and the arms of the legitimate government, like public safety uh, and fire and police, will not go, in essence, you have a small island within a country that is and behaves as if it's a foreign country. It, for instance... Sharia law is not consistent with our United States Constitution, as you well know. So the question then is, are there no-go zones in the United States? Well, there are people that say there are, that they are uh, not quite as to the level of sophistication, if you will, that they are in Europe. Um, but certain Deer certainly Dearborn, Michigan is one example, another being... Minneapolis, St. Paul, where you have a large Somali population, 
in fact, the uh, Somali population in Minneapolis-St. Paul is second only to the Somali population in Mogadishu. So you have some idea of how many there are there. There's uh, 50, 60,000 have congregated in Minneapolis-St. Paul in one area in particular. So uh, an argument could be made that this is the genesis, certainly the the foundation, if you will, of no-go zones here in this country. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. <laughs>